Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Psalms. And this evening uh, we are turning to Psalm 122. In the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 517. This has a heading to it, uh, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We have been looking, the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at what has come to be known as the Songs of Ascents. Uh, it is a, referring to a collection of psalms in the book of Psalms uh, that all have that heading to them. Uh, there are 15 uh, psalms that have that heading, a song of ascents. And most likely, these were intentionally gathered together as the people made their way to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. And the people would have done that a number of times each year uh, when they celebrated uh, the great feasts of Israel in the Old Covenant. And so it seems likely that these psalms were incorporated into the, the journey towards Jerusalem. But we've been saying that these psalms are appropriate not just for a journey uh, towards Jerusalem, but the, the breadth of these psalms makes them appropriate for thinking about the life of faith in general. That, as one person has described it, the Christian life is a long journey of obedience, of, of hard obedience, uh, that we need to be able to be equipped with all of the wisdom of these psalms. And already we looked at a couple of them. In Psalm 120, uh, we looked at the idea of peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The life of faith is one in which truth is not necessarily embraced. That we can be people that pursue peace, but that which makes for peace, the truth of God's word, is something that can be rejected and something that uh, people can push back on. And that's a dynamic that we need to be aware of if we're to walk after Jesus, that we are to strive for peace and the things that make for peace according to the word of God. But in Psalm 121, we looked at another uh, concept. We looked at the idea of God's protection. Uh, the psalm began with that question, uh, as I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? 
and then gives the answer, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. That psalm is really a celebration of the fact that God is a God who keeps, he guards his people, he's a guardian over his people. And so the life of faith is one lived under the shelter of God's protection. Well, I don't know if we're going to look at each of these psalms and to find a letter P uh, for each of them, but we have another P this evening as we come to Psalm 122, and that is the people of God. Psalm 122 is a celebration about cherishing God's people. And this evening we want to see that because God is forming a people uh, devoted to worshiping him, believers are to cherish all those who belong to God. And so our scope of reference is to be wider than our own private journey. Our, Our scope of reference is to appreciate and to be concerned ultimately with God's people in every quarter. Well, we want to look at this psalm in three thoughts. And uh, these three thoughts actually uh, were three thoughts that uh, the Puritan Matthew Henry uh, put in his commentary that I thought were helpful. And he uh, looks at this psalm and he says, in this psalm, we see three greats. We see great joy. We see great appreciation. And we see a great concern. And so we want to look at this psalm uh, using Matthew Henry's outline of joy, appreciation, and concern. Well, first he begins there with a note on joy. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It is, uh, it is a, a psalm that begins uh, with delight, with gladness. When it speaks about the house of the Lord there, it is talking about the place of worship in the Old Covenant that it was where the Lord promised in a peculiar way to make his presence known. And in the days of David, uh, that was Jerusalem. God made his presence known in Jerusalem, where the ark came to be located, and it was there that God met with his people. And this is the way that David wants the people of God to think about worship. It's, It's with gladness. The opportunity to gather together with God's people to worship in the presence of God should evoke gladness in our hearts. Much like when someone is leaving the house and they might say, I'm going to do some errands. I'm going to go do some shopping. Would anyone like to come along with me? And when someone else in the house hears that they're going out, they instinctively see this as a great invitation to come along with. They're, they're glad when they're being invited to go out with the other individual. Or you think when someone's in the workplace and it's lunchtime and they might say, I'm going out to get lunch. Would someone like to come with me? We, we appreciate when someone invites us and would like us to join them. Well, the psalmist here is expressing a gladness when someone else says, Let us go to the house of God. You should come too. This is good for both of us. And so there's this joy that is reciprocated because it's not only self-referential, but it's also delighting in that other people find joy in this as well. The sentiment here, uh, though, is not one that is embraced by all. Uh, The idea of gathering to worship God is not something that universally all people delight in. 
And that's part of our, our rebellious heart. When we don't want to acknowledge God, when we don't want to gather to pay tribute and honor to the, the God of heaven and earth. And this is one that is then not embraced. Part of our, our sinful hearts react negatively to that invitation. But if our reaction to going to church is one of dread, that should awaken us that something is wrong. There can be many reasons why we don't want to go to church. But if there's no desire to gather with God's people, that should be a flag that something somewhere is off. Because here the psalmist is saying this is meant to be a joy. It's meant to give delight, not to be something that we dread. And so if we are seeking to honor the Lord, then we should seek to honor the Lord's ways. Uh, and that's uh, something that the psalmist is accenting here. Again, there can be many reasons why we don't want to gather together for worship. One of those reasons can be that we don't even want to worship God himself. When we aren't inclined to God, maybe we're even shrinking back at the idea of coming close, as it were, to God, of, of coming into his presence with the purpose of focusing on his greatness. And part of that can be because we recoil in shame or we feel threatened by his judgment. We know that we are not right before God. And it's true, the scriptures highlight that we are all sinners before God. But what makes the good news so good is that it teaches us that God draws us unto himself, that God draws near in order that we can have a safe way of coming before him. That God sent his son to be a high priest over us. That Jesus came and laid down his life as a sacrifice to cover the sins of many. And that if we're trusting in Jesus, then we can come before God's throne as a throne of grace. And the writer of Hebrews says, when we come before God, we can come to him with confidence because he will help us in our time of need and we can receive mercy. What causes people to want to draw near to God is because they have discovered something about the God who is that attracts them. They see not just that he is great, but they see that he is gracious and so again, when we hear this opening word, I was glad when they said, let us go and worship God. If we're looking at our own lives and we say, I don't have any desire to worship God, I don't want to worship God, that should be a red flag for us saying something's wrong. But it's not just unbelievers that don't necessarily resonate with these opening words. These can be things that we resonate with even if we are professing Christians as well. Uh, that it can be something that we are not inclined to. Uh, and so we have to think about why it is uh, that we are not desiring what God himself says we should. If we don't delight in gathering for worship, then we should take seriously the psalmist's words here. It's not just a duty. It's supposed to be a delight. And so there is something of the heart being expressed here, finding its satisfaction in being able to express greatness in one who is great. So there is a great joy. 
at the invitation of being called to worship, of recognizing that it is good for us to gather together in worship. But there's also a great appreciation in this psalm. David is the composer of this psalm, and David wrote this psalm in order to encourage, to inspire people to cherish Jerusalem. He wrote it so that people would have a high view of going to Jerusalem to worship. And in this psalm, he's really trying to help them appreciate what Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is is something vital to the outworking of their faith. And you see that in verses 3 through 5. He is trying to accent what makes this psalm, uh, Jerusalem, so important. But as mentioned, uh, not everyone is uh, going to resonate with what is being articulated here. Not just unbelievers, but even those within the church. Even those who have come to discover God's grace in Christ may not find themselves resonating with what David writes here. And for one reason or another, uh, they have a relatively low view of the importance of gathering with the Lord's people. Again, there can be many reasons for that. One reason can be that we live in a very individualistic culture that tends to focus on I. But another part of that can be not just our culture, uh, but uh, it can also be the fact that we may not sense any need of others. Maybe we feel self-sufficient. Maybe we feel like we're okay as it is. Uh, There can be all kinds of reasons why we have a low view of the gathering together of God's people. But that actually fails to appreciate the work of God's grace in the lives of others and the design of God that we would live in community with one another. We don't live in the old covenant. We don't have to actually go to Jerusalem to worship God. We don't have to go to a certain mount or another, as Jesus himself explains, in order to come before God in worship. But these two characteristics of delighting in God in worship and delighting in God's people continue to mark Christians in the new covenant, just as they marked the people of God in the old covenant. That's what the writer of Hebrews accents throughout his epistle. In Hebrews chapter 10, he tells uh, the Christians not to neglect the meeting together as was the habit of some. Now again, we live in a time when the importance of gathered worship is at a low point across the spectrum of churches. That the faith has much more become a private matter because in society it is not welcomed. And so we revert to depending on the home or in the closet, the prayer closet. But the church and the faith of Christianity is not meant to be built simply on private worship. Our faith is a public faith. And it is the public gathering together that is vital for the celebration of God's grace. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is really trying to accent. Uh, We have to realize here how important, not just the writer of Hebrews, but as David is writing in this psalm, uh, this privilege of gathering together really is. Again, many professing Christians see a low, little value in gathering together with others. 
and some will even confess that they think of corporate worship as optional, or they will talk about it as being for a particular season, perhaps, of their faith. There was a season in my life when the church was important for me, but I no longer need that. It might be optional if it's helpful for me, but I don't need it uh, to carry out my faith. These, these sentiments uh, seem to miss the importance of what scripture is stressing, the importance of being connected with the people of God. The church then was never meant to be built simply on the private sphere, but is built in the public gathering together. Again, if we turn back to the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews utilizes the same language that is being used in this psalm. Uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Again, we're not in the old covenant. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. But notice the writer of Hebrews is very intentional about taking that language and carrying it forward. Because in the writer, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, he says that we are God's house. Uh, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The house of God is the people of God who were indwelt by the Spirit of God as they've come to believe in Jesus as their high priest. They are the people of God because God's presence is with them. And so they gather together recognizing that they are bonded together. That's why in the New Testament we see all those analogies about the church. We're not just isolated uh, pods, but that we are described as being members of one body. We are described as a holy nation. We are described as a kingdom of priests. We are described as citizens of God's kingdom. We are described as children of the family of God. These are corporate descriptions, highlighting that we are connected together. But even if we go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 10 says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. He goes on in verse 23, uh, let us hold fast uh, the confession of our hope without wavering. In verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The writer of Hebrews repeatedly speaks of the importance of that corporate aspect of faith. So Christians should see the weekly gathering on the Lord's Day as their great privilege because this is where they belong. And this is where they see their great joy to stir up one another to love and good works. So David here is trying to help them appreciate Jerusalem. They are coming to Jerusalem according to God's decree, as it says there in verse 4. If you're going to celebrate the feasts, you're going to do it three times a year. You're going to come to Jerusalem. Why should we come to Jerusalem? And here David is trying to unpack for them what is so important about Jerusalem? And he says a couple of things. First, he highlights, this is where you belong. It, it, it helps us understand where we belong in this world. It helps me understand where I'm planted, where I have my roots. And so here, David is celebrating a, a sense of belonging. He says in verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. 
Jerusalem was the national capital of Israel. But here he's accenting that it's bound tightly together. It's not just that there's houses that are relatively proximate, proximate to one another. He's saying that it's like a city where every square foot is accounted for. The buildings are all closely positioned together because they hold a common position. They, they hold a common concern, the welfare of their society. They all have the same place that they are situated in. And this becomes a picture of what the church is. They're bound together, not because they're all the same, but because they have a common concern. They have a common position, uh, uh, which brings them together. Again, in verse 4, he says, the tribes of the Lord come up. Uh, The tribes of the Lord go up. You think about the different tribes of Israel. There were some very different personalities in those tribes. But in spite of their differences, what brought them together was something that united them. And you think about how we speak, we use the language of diversity because we recognize that there is so many differences in our world today. We have to recognize the diversity uh, all around us. But what's the unity? What actually pulls us together? What actually bonds us together? And David here is saying, what bonds us together is something greater than ourselves, something higher than ourselves. That the tribes are willing to see their differences but not be put off by one another because they're attracted to a common concern. God meets with us in Jerusalem. And so it's to Jerusalem that we come together. And so that becomes a picture of the people of God. The the gathering together of the people of God then was a demonstration of the Lord's workmanship. The Lord was building up the people of God and bringing them together. So in spite of all of their particularities, there was something that unified them. So when people gather together in worship, they are able to give expression to the greatness of God who unites them. Isn't that something wonderful when you think about the church, the visible church? People that can gather together who are very different. And yet something bonds them together that says we come together for this united purpose. The greatness of God who has called us into his presence through the Lord Jesus. That by the work of the Spirit, we have a common hope and a common joy. There's something magnificent about that. It's bigger than us individually because it's recognizing the greatness over all of us. So David here is saying, do you appreciate Jerusalem, what it communicates? communicates a sense of belonging who are we that brings us all together the greatness of god that has been revealed who has summoned us as he has decreed but it's also uh to appreciate uh the the orderliness or the righteousness in uh that is found in jerusalem there in verse five it says the thrones for judgment were set the thrones of the house of david Jerusalem was to be cherished uh, because it was in Jerusalem that King David's throne was set. Where there were differences, where there were disputes, you could always go to the king for judgment. 
the king could weigh in and give righteousness on a matter. And so here, uh, David is highlighting the fact that Jerusalem was to be cherished because in Jerusalem you find order. In Jerusalem you find righteousness. In Jerusalem you have a, a, a way of life where uh, what is right is upheld. So what good is the church? David wrote this psalm uh, seeking to inspire people in his own day to have a high view of Jerusalem. This is the place where God has decreed to be worshipped. This is the place where righteousness is to be established. This is the place from which every, uh, from people from every background would gather together in God's presence. You think about what Isaiah was saying. The nations will come. They will come and they will worship the God of Jerusalem at Jerusalem. And so here there's this expectation that Jerusalem is important. Because this is where God's grace and his righteousness will be manifested. Go back to the New Testament. Go back to the writer of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews says, for believers, for those who believe in Jesus, he says, but we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Why does the writer of Hebrews use that language? What does he mean that we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem when we're not at the earthly Jerusalem? What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that all that was pictured in earthly Jerusalem has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus so that you come to the realization of God's purposes in Jesus. Why was Jerusalem to be cherished? Because it's the place of peace. What does Jerusalem mean? Salam, shalom, means peace. Jerusalem most likely means foundation of peace. It's in Jerusalem that we find peace with God through the sacrifice for sin. Jesus is our peace. In Jesus, we find peace with God from our guilt. It's in Jerusalem that we find righteousness. It's in Jerusalem that we find the presence of God. God's dwelling place is with his people. But in Christ, we come to encounter the living God. We come to find truth proclaimed. It is from Jerusalem that God's grace and truth will be realized. As Isaiah said, many people will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we may walk in his ways and walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, that is the teaching, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so the church is described as, as being the pillar of the truth. They are those that have been given God's word, of good news in Jesus Christ. So why should we care about the gathering together? Why should we care about the broader work of God's redeemed community? Because that's what God's design is. That we would be saved unto a family. That we would be united and reconciled with one another. That we would be able to appreciate the extent of God's grace that we might fulfill our design and build up the people of God and be those who encourage one another to go and to worship the Lord. 
This is why David writes a song, that we would appreciate the collective as well as the individual, that we would appreciate the privilege of worship and not see it as simply a chore or as a duty. So there's a great joy that is expressed. I was glad when they said to me, let us go and worship. There's a great appreciation in this psalm. Jerusalem is bound together tightly. Jerusalem is the place where judgment comes. But this psalm also ends with a great concern. In verses 6 and following, uh, we see that that concern expressed in prayer. Uh, He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. This psalm is teaching us that our prayers should incorporate the needs of the church. Do we pray for one another? When we pray, do we pray for the needs of brothers and sisters? Do we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom? We can pray for ourselves and we're encouraged to pray for our needs. But we should also bear in mind the needs of our brothers and sisters. That is our great privilege, to lift one another up in prayer. It's one of the joys of being part of the people of God because we see the Lord working in other people's lives and we can see more ways in which to praise God. So here we see not only does the psalmist pray for himself and for the well-being of Jerusalem, but he counsels others to join with him in praying for the people of God. He will express his longing for the health and the well-being of the people of God. So he expresses that concern by way of prayer. But he also expresses that concern in terms of his aim. In verse 9, he says, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That is his commitment. He will live in such a way as to bless others. So why should we value the church? Because God cherishes the church. He sent his son in order to redeem sinners, but he sent his son in order to redeem them unto himself as a people. Jesus was committed to praying for his people as he confessed in his prayers, but he also intercedes for them that they would be faithful collectively as well. That we would be, uh, and so we should be shaped by his work and by his word. This psalm is a psalm accenting the importance of God's people in our journey. The life of faith is one that is lived not in isolation, but it is one that appreciates God's people. They are a support to us, and they are fuel for our praise. We are to seek their prosperity. We are to seek their peace as we are in God's providence brought together. We are to value the church because God does. He sent his son to bring the nations to himself. And because God has designed the church for our flourishing, that we might be bound tightly together. When people are willing to come together, it accents the importance of what they are united by, what it is that they value together. For the people of God, for Christians, It's our opportunity to say what we value most, what binds us together, is the glory of Jesus, who came to save sinners like us. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the visible church, as we think about the gathering together for corporate worship, as we think about the life of faith, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to appreciate uh, the design of God, to be able to see that we are uh, brought into uh, a community. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be committed to the welfare of one another, to see how that works itself out in uh, aligning ourselves with a church, but how it also works itself out in practice as we pray uh, for the needs of brothers and sisters, as we speak and encourage one another, stirring up one another to love and to good works. And we pray, Lord, that ultimately we would be people uh, who are shaped uh, by an attitude of thanksgiving, that we can have an opportunity to stand in your presence before your throne of grace through the work of our great high priest. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.